episode 657 with Dr. Pam Popper, who, to no fault of her own and entirely on me, because I am dysfunctional and like to overbook, like Delta likes to overbook flights, I have rescheduled this podcast about 14,000 times in the last two months, (laughs) and you have the patience of a saint and a god all wrapped into one, and so you are finally here, Dr. McCullough has come on here he and he's always recommending me guests and he has kind of been hounding me from the get-go he said you have to interview her uh i listened to him on rogan and he mentioned you and i was like i i gotta okay i gotta i can't i can't keep pushing it back um but enough of my own pity party and throwing excuses mm-hmm. for myself and trying to paint me in an innocent light dr popper please introduce yourself for all of the listeners Ah, well, thank you for having me. Dr. McCullough is a great friend and a great friend of our movement. Um, just can't say enough good things about this guy. Um, well, I, my, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and um, I started a healthcare company about 27 years ago called Wellness Forum Health. And um, our business is unusual, and it led me into this that we're talking about right now. We specialize in informed medical decision-making. And what that means <laughs> is uh, teaching people how to buy diets and supplements and um, tests and surgeries and drugs and recommendations from doctors. You do that the same way you buy houses and cars and retirement accounts. If it's an emergency, to kind of take that off the table because that's a different situation. Yeah. Like if your head is bleeding on the sidewalk, investigation is not necessary. But but 95% of what people do in healthcare involves um, somebody telling you to do it and then you do it. So how about you start the same way you do with everything else? You ask questions, you look into it, do some research of your own, consider your own personal values and the cost of it, all these things, then you make a decision. The reason the medical profession is real hostile to this is that when people are taught how to do this, they consume about two-thirds less healthcare than when they don't do this, right? So it's bad for business, actually. And one of the reasons is that when you start filtering information using some basic rules, because it's not the Wild West. It is the Wild West out there. There's so much crap in medical journals that it can lead you in any direction you want to go. But um, you start looking at what's something that's statistically significant, but it's meaningless to the consumer, all right? Like this prolongs my life by 10 weeks. Well, if you're 45 years old, I don't know that that makes a big difference to you. You want to live for 10 years, you know, 20, 50 years, right? Um, so anyway, um, that's my business. And, and during the time of my career, I've been involved in making documentaries. I've written best-selling books. Um, I've written a couple of thousand articles, uh, most of them fully referenced uh, and posted in our library. I've created 3,600 hours of educational programming on everything from hepatitis to stage four cancer. And people become members in order to access all that stuff. And in the course of all that, I reported on past fake pandemics, most notably the one in 2009. I own a business, uh, I I do business in China. And um, so I had some specialized knowledge about that, which led me to post a very controversial video on March 10th or the beginning of it. It was the first one out there where I said, you know, what was happening. And I wish I'd been wrong, but you go back and watch that video and just almost all of it verbatim is exactly what unfolded after that. So that's why we're talking today. On a, on a side note, uh, just kind of a, a random thought, and you'll learn in this podcast very quickly that it goes all over the place. Uh, you know, you've talked about that. There's been other uh, health officials saying this is what's going to happen. And then amongst all of them is my favorite comedian, 
Tim Dillon, who is just the the rudest, most disgusting, but I think hands down funniest person alive, former uh, uh, toxic mortgage salesman. He predicted this all too. If you go back and listen to his episodes in like January 2020, he's got a raspy voice. He's like, I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. And he's like, it's going to, and he really lays it out. But this podcast isn't to promote Tim Dillon because he's not paying me. So screw, oh. screw him. But, um, <laughs> but, but well, I'll look him up. Yeah, I'm interested. In he, he, he's, he's been on Joe Rogan. I genuinely, no bullshit. I think he's, I think he's the funniest man alive. Um, but, you know, going back to, so let's just, let's just go back to like informed consent. Yeah. I mean, all right, you know, I uh, uh, I had a, a medical emergency two and a half years ago, uh, kind of a, a hyper rare medication interaction, had to go to the hospital. I don't remember any of it. You know, my parents took me to the hospital. That's something where you're not maybe trying to wake me up with bath salts or, or sniffing salts or bath salts, what a terrible terrible typo well uh, that would be bad that Waking would be up with bath salts would be terrible yeah, that's, how, that's how you end up in what, what was that story in like 2013 that that guy that ate someone else's face in miami on bath salts oh. that was i'm an idiot i asked about that when i was interviewing at uh, miami medical school um <laughs> enough of all of that is that's not something where they're trying to wake you up and go, you know, do you want this thing or that thing? It was something very wrong is going on. They didn't know if it was some weird virus infection. They take you in. We'll ask questions later. Well, you know, you can't pay for it. We'll right. figure this Save out. Your later. Life. Right. Exactly. Now with something like so, and I, I can't go an episode without mentioning this. And I, I, I kind of like that. I can't, I lost a brother to suicide in 2014. My brother, oh, John loved him to death. And that's why I bring him up every episode afterwards, you know, about a six to 12 months afterwards, I, I went on an antidepressant and I really didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know how it was going to work. And, um, you know, found some that worked. And I do remember uh, a physician prescribing a new one. It was brand new and who knows, maybe it was placebo effect. I thought it was working better. But it was like, it came out to like $600 a week. And I was like, no, this is working great. And it was, it makes me think of like going to Jiffy Lube and kind of spending, like you said, two thirds less, you know, do you want to, do you want us to change your headlight fluid? Do you want us to change your, you know, your, <laughs> do the air conditioner volume, things that don't exist, yeah. but you know, how about a new transmission while you're here? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, well, you can refill your tires with tire fluid, you know, stuff that someone like me who doesn't know anything about cars I'm susceptible to go, well, yeah, sure, sure, I need that. Mm -hmm. Now, you can extrapolate that, the point of that whole tangent. You can extrapolate that to what's going on right now. And right. there is, you know, Dr. Malone talked about this when I had him on the first time on here, uh, episode 495. He said it is highly unethical to, to lose people in the jargon because if you don't know anything about it, and you have Dr. Malone with his magnificent beard, and he's sitting here talking about oligosaccharides and proteoglycans and, and acetylcysteine and, and biotransmissive nucleotides, and you're going, okay, okay. Well, that's very unethical because the layperson has no idea what you're talking about, and we trust the guy or the woman in the white coat. Do you think we are seeing that on a global level? You need this. Yes aside from the coercion and the violation of the Nuremberg Code, but just this, you need this, and you know you have people, and the baby's crying, they got to fill the car up with gas, they got to pay their mortgage, and the guy on the TV says, you need the third shot, you're, you're just taking the third shot. It's not because you're stupid, it's not because you're compliant, you're just, you're doing the thing. Is that what we're seeing on a global level? Well, yeah, and, and it's been going on for decades, all right? And, the, and so the first thing is, if, my, if the people who've joined Wellness Forum 
had doctors who would take time to explain um, N-acetylcysteine and oligosaccharides. That would be a bonus because really what happens is that a doctor generally says, um, you have this, whatever this is, and it could be a, a surrogate marker, which is another whole issue. Everybody gets excited about surrogate markers. And what I mean by that is you can lower your cholesterol with a statin drug, but it reduces your risk of heart attack or stroke by seven-tenths of a percent on average, right? People knew that. They probably wouldn't take the drug because it's virtually worthless. And the number needed to treat is 400 and for some people. All right, so, so they're just told, you have this, so I'm going to prescribe that, or you should have this test or this procedure. There's no conversation about it whatsoever. And furthermore, um, what happened in the opiate epidemic is very instructional because it was the most recent debacle, and you could call it an epidemic in a way, uh, before this. And what happened was the, the Sacklers, who owned Purdue Pharma, hired real pretty girls who used to be cheerleaders in high school. And they went out and they told doctors that, you know, OxyContin is not addictive because it's now in a time-release formula. And there's an untreated um, epidemic of pain. It's the, it's the sixth vital sign. And you need to start asking everybody about it and prescribing it will. And they actually paid uh, the Federation of State Medical Boards, convinced them to instruct medical boards to rewrite the prescribing guidelines so the doctors could write prescription after prescription after prescription. Now, the pill mills were responsible for a lot of this, but the vast majority of it was doctors in private practice who looked at the drug reps and said, okay, thanks for the information. And they started writing the script. So that's evidence that you can set up a system, a private company, Purdue Pharma is a privately held company. And the Sacklers were able to set up a system. They rewrote the hospital prescribing guidelines for opiate drugs and set this whole system up so that everybody could just write scripts like crazy. And we see what happened. It, it's not just the number of people who died as a result of taking opiates. It's more than, than COVID, I would think, at this point in time. But it's the number of people who, when, the, when they started reining it all in, you can't have your prescriptions anymore, mm -hmm. started getting heroin. So we have an epidemic of deaths from the opiates, and it continues today, and we have an epidemic of heroin addiction, which sometimes leads to uh, deaths because what comes across the border That's these days now. is not always so clean. So it's a risky thing to be a drug addict always, but perhaps more so now than ever. So people are just flabbergasted, like, how could this happen? All these doctors just nod their head and they get on TV and they say the same thing, and no matter where you go, they all say the same thing. Well, they've been conditioned to do this and it's been going on for years and it's gotten worse, but it goes back a hundred years. It's just gotten worse every decade until eventually something cataclysmic was going to happen. I've been saying that for a long time, never visualized this, but here we are. Yeah. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's writing bad checks and getting away mm -hmm. with it. And then all of a sudden you write the wrong bad, you write it to a mafioso and all of a sudden it's like, yeah. oh man, tax man's coming. It's um yes. yeah uh I've uh, I've interviewed uh, Gerald Posner the author of Pharma it's all about the Sackler family and the bribes yeah. they were giving if they couldn't give direct bribes it was hey do you want access to our timeshare that cost a trillion dollars and it's in French okay. Polynesia hey why don't you take the wife and kids and how about you just prescribe a couple more oxycodone right it's all above board right and it's mm -hmm. We've seen it again and again. I mean, Pfizer paid out that was a 2.3, 3.2, whatever it is. It was over $2 billion. And that was in 2009. That was 13 mm -hmm. years ago. That was right in yeah. the rear mirror. I mean, thalidomide in the, was the 50s or the 60s or nine out of 10 doctors recommend lucky strikes. We've mm -hmm. seen this again and again. And 
like the bad checks, it was bound it was bound to come to a head. And a realization I've had over from le- reading these books and then from looking at where we are now is it makes a little more sense than you're telling me they're just doing this pandemic and they're making money versus no, they've always been doing this. Mm-hmm. They've gotten sloppy. And the the you know they have the the sun shining into the shadows, and all of a sudden you're seeing the demon sitting there. It's always been yeah. there. You're just yeah. you know it's not that Santa all of a sudden was fake. He got older, and you realize he was never there, right? Which is horribly yeah. crushing. I hope I don't know if anyone listening to this podcast still believes in Santa. He's real, I promise. But mm-hmm. we are seeing that more and more, and it seems like it seems like this was the natural progression of things. Whether it's the mortgage crisis or uh, you know. Yeah, you know, unfettered uh, Patriot Act, Guantanamo. We're going to end up in wars all over Africa and the Middle East. At a certain point, yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's the you know a forest fire got unchecked. Eventually, yeah, don't be surprised when it burns all the fuel. And is there any way to get out of this? And kind of an, another sub question: Are we seeing the the death throes of it? Uh, Trudeau coming out and saying, will we tolerate these people? Uh, Macron, Macron, how do you say his name? Saying, I want to piss off the unvaccinated. His words, not mine. Joe Biden with that wonderful Christmas message of to the unvaccinated, a winter of a severe illness. <laughs> Dark winter I mean, of my, death. my Lord, it's like, it's like the evil guy from Inspector Gadget, you know, like next time, Gadget. It's like you read it and you're like, what are we seeing? Is it in the death rows or am I being optimistic? No, it's in the death rooms. And I have a theory about why okay. and how this all happened, if you want to hear I it. I absolutely want to hear um, it. And, and, and just to finish that thought, it's yeah. in the death rooms, and, <coughs> and that's a good thing. But it's going to get bad worse before it gets better. And the reason is that think about a dinosaur that's dying, and it doesn't just stand still in the sand and melts into the ground, right? It thrashes about and it knocks down entire cities. And so that's what you see. And they're, and they're becoming increasingly desperate. In, in other words, a smart politician is, is very clever about bringing people into their lair, if you will. And you might remember in the 2016 campaign, Hillary Clinton said a lot of things that I don't like. But when she said the deplor- when she talked about the deplorables, I mean, she realized right away that she made a huge mistake. I read a book that was written by a couple of New York Times reporters about her campaign, and and they and everybody felt that was like a seminal moment when she really stepped in it, and that was just one line, right? And she regretted it, and I don't think that cost her the election by itself, but it was really uh, it was a, a big tell, right? So these people are getting up in front of the public, and they're saying something like that every day, okay. the equivalent of that, right? Okay. And so this is this means that it's like. We, when Biden said we were losing patience, he, he's losing his mind. He just gets up and it's increasingly reckless. And Macron is reckless and Trudeau is reckless. And, you know, I'm waiting for the for one of them to get on national television and say, okay, so here's our problem and we need you to help, all right? We made a deal with the Chinese and they're like really up my rear end right now. And I could, I'm, I'm, my family's afraid. We don't know what to do. Okay, where do we stop with the truth telling? And and, uh, and I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm exaggerating for a reason. So yeah, I think it's in the death throes. And I, and I think that we will come out of it. But uh, I filmed a video for tomorrow right before I got on this interview. And it was based on a British medical journal journal article co-authored by Peter Doshi that said that the uh, end of the epidemic will not be televised. 
And it, it, it was kind of, well, I don't know if you read my book, COVID Operation, but um, it was, it, they basically suggest the whole say, thing. I have it on my phone and on Kindle. You can get your phone and oh, read good. it to you, and I'll put it in the description <laughs> for everybody listening. Thank you. I'm not going to I'm not going to um, it, it mentioned something that, that we mentioned in our book, which is that, you know, this is going to end when people just walk out the door and start acting normal. And that's going on in my community. I can see it. We have a mass mandate around here. And you have you have little pockets of places where it's really enforced and people are taking it seriously. And I would say the most people are masked. But every time I go into my local grocery store, there are fewer people who are masked. And I go some places and there's nobody that's masked and nobody's hassling you if you go into a place where everybody's masked and you're the only person, right? And so... Um, I, I thought would be an example of it sort of winding itself down and people are tired of it. My trainer is a real young guy. And so he hangs out with a, uh, my personal trainer hangs out with a different age group of people. And I asked him this morning when we were working, when I was working out, what do your friends think of this? He goes, oh, they're just all sick of it. We just, we're just not doing it. You know, yeah. that, that's it. We're just not doing it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's in its death throes. Now, the reason behind it, this is what I think, and, and I could be entirely wrong. I have a lot of time to think about this stuff, and I do. So when, I get re- when we get ready to do something at my company, you know, we have a lot of discussions about how great it would be if it all worked out, right? Because sure. that's always where you start. Great idea. We have a great idea. Right? Yeah. And then at some point in time before we do it, we start thinking about the things that can go wrong. So you start saying, okay, how much is this going to cost? And how long do we do it if it isn't working before we pull the plug? Like, what's our maximum? We did that when we started Make Americans Free Again. How much money can we afford to put into this before we have to pull the plug, right? If we don't get other people to start donating money. Um, What could go wrong? Well, what could go wrong is I could get assassinated, I suppose. I didn't, obviously I'm here, but we did talk about that. You know, if you become an enemy of the government, then the government's out of control. It's a risk factor. 100%. Yeah, so we had all that conversation and then we looked at the benefits and the rest and we said, okay, well, here's what I'm getting at. If you look at all of the documents that people have dug up where they've talked about how they're going to do this, they really don't talk about what can go wrong and in the way that things did go wrong that they probably should have thought of. What if all the countries don't shut down? What if all the states don't shut down? What if some little girl in Columbus, Ohio, gets a B in her bind about the whole thing and teams up with some attorney and starts filing lawsuits accusing us of fraud, which is what we did August 31st of last year, right? Or of uh, 2020. Nothing like that. And and we and and we're not negative people at my office, but we always spend more time on the what can go wrong than what can go right, because what can go wrong kills the deal. You can always figure out more things once if it's right. And they didn't do that. So I think um they were not I think they thought either so arrogant have all this money and power and resources, or we're just so smart. We figured it all out. And uh, these stupid people we're controlling will just go along and life will be great. Yeah, they may protest and all. We got to expect all that. But I think they thought it was going to be like the riots uh, in 2020, where they burned down some buildings, then just wear themselves out and go home. That's not what happened to the opposition here. And I think they're beside themselves at this point. The, The grandiose centralized plans... I mean, you have to respect them for their intricacy, no matter how evil they are. I mean, mm-hmm. absolute, you know, demons from hell. But hey, the Nazis were organized, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's horrifying. But you have to you have to look at it. And sure, they are all these plans and they're implemented. Um, 
I had on now, like another thing, not to interrupt you, no, but I I, you brought up the Nazis, and um, I'm a World War Two uh, buff. I read a lot. I'm always reading something about World it. World War Two to Cold War. That's my. Yeah, that's that's my 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 thing, and um, and so I read a lot. I'm reading a book right now that was written about like how could this happen? How could this happen? All right, and um, and so what I've learned, I haven't finished the book yet. I can't remember the name where I tell you, but um, I'm about a third of the way through the book. And it's and one of the things that Hitler did and his people did that was so much smarter. They were, uh, thank God our people, our criminals aren't as smart as those criminals because they could have done this a whole lot better. But um, the Hitler and his uh, partners, the, the, the Nazis, they were pay- they were very, very aware of making everything so gradual. It, oh, yeah. it, this took years. They, they primed the German people for five to seven years mm-hmm. or so before this thing really gained traction. They were hauling people before the crystal knocked and the, and the uh, hauling people off to concentration camps and that sort of thing. And every time they, they were, for example, one, one good example is Jews who were married to Gentiles. They left that bad boy alone because they said, no, we can't have a whole bunch of Gentiles being upset about this. We got to just go after Jews that are purebred Jews, right? And then the last, they they didn't really start taking uh, Jews married to Gentiles until well after the extermination program was underway. So they were real conscious. These people um, started out with two weeks to flatten the curve. And they they were not very smart about it because there was nothing leading up to it that was priming the public for this level of control. And um, and so they managed to maintain control probably until about mid to late summer. That's when we filed our lawsuit. That's also when Ron DeSantis in Florida started saying, what the heck are we doing? You know, go free and we're just we're done with this. And, you know, Sweden didn't lock down and the flow of information, the alternative media started kind of getting involved. So. So um, Hitler was much smarter uh, about the way he went about it. And he had given a lot of thought to it before he went in. I think these people gave a lot of thought, but they wanted to do it very quickly, and they made a big mistake there. It seems like this was all implemented earlier than the – and this is my own conspiracy. It seems (laughs) like it was implemented – it seems like if they had waited longer and done it more slowly – would have been a kill shot, would have been the end of history, would have been a global mm-hmm. totalitarian medical dictatorship, top down, control every nation. They went yep. too quick. They went mm-hmm. way, they went way, way, way too quick. And it seems like if they had waited, but that's a whole, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, with, you know, I, I look at, I look at these like, uh, to the centralized planning, you know, I'm someone that up until 2017 had, had literal clinical OCD. Not in some like, LOL, I'm so OCD. No, I mean like crippling like to the point of tears. But that's also how I got into medical school was I could just, you know, I had to know everything. And I don't mean most of it. I had to know everything um, mm-hmm. that allowed me to do well to my own horn. That's how I scored in the top four percentile on the MCAT. I just focused. However, I would always learn, even in the depths of my OCD, that there was an extent to the planning. And mm-hmm. uh, I vividly remember it was, um, I just transferred to the University of Georgia. It was August, 2011 from Valdosta. It was really getting serious. Wanted to go to a tougher school so it would look better on my, my resume and application. Got all my courses, figured everything out. This is when I'm gonna wake up. This is when I'm gonna, I have some structure every day. Wake up at the same time, go to the gym, mile on the treadmill, weights, cold shower, meditate, do the podcast, go to bed at the same time. 
there's a certain level of structure I have. I really tried to dial it up that August 2011. And I looked at all my courses, which ones were more difficult, which ones were going to require more time. Religions of the world, okay, I could probably write some BS essays. Um, biochemistry, I, I probably need to put some time into that. And I remember like color coding it on like my, my Apple calendar, and I will study this course this many hours on this day and this many hours on this day, and I will do this. And on Fridays, I will take that evening off to go drink beer with my friends. And I remember thinking, I was like, I have perfected it. I've created the schedule. And it collapsed in on itself in about two weeks. And mm -hmm. I was so devastated. And I realized that, and you know, maybe this maybe this example doesn't hold weight to other people, but I realized just how there is a certain level. You know, if you don't bend, you will break. There has to mm -hmm. be a level. Another quick analogy, uh, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, his whole series about blueprints for Armageddon, which you will love about World War One. I, I, I know you like World War Two, but trust me, this will melt your brain. It was all about how the uh, the Wehrmacht or the, the Kaiser army they had their plan, the Schlieffen plan. They had been, they had this thing ready for 15 years down to, they knew exactly how many train cars would be passing over which bridge at which time on which day of the invasion. And it was to a T magnificent. But then one of the bridges like collapsed and one of the train cars fell off of all their, they had hundreds of different trains. And they had no idea what to do. The whole thing fell apart. This beautiful model fell apart. And if it doesn't come out perfectly, it's completely messed up. I have bad vision. If I have glasses that are perfect, I can see well. But anyone that goes to the optometrist knows if it's off just just one lens, the whole thing is screwed. So mm -hmm. to what you're saying about this is, I don't think they were. I don't think they were planning on things. I don't think they were planning on Joe Rogan, a, a bald MMA Fear Factor host having on Dr. Malone the day after he gets banned from Twitter and this leading to an exodus to get her or now I'm on Rumble because I got permanently banned for interviewing Malone and McCullough. There are these weird things of this podcast was never meant to be a COVID podcast. As I told you, I like talking about the Cold War. They never they never uh, considered that there might be someone like me with OCD who's now going to go, you know what? I'm going to go to war with you. I'm going to interview Dr. Popper and Dr. McCullough mm. and Dr. Malone. I'm going to make this my new thing they didn't count on that. And that is, that is my hope. And everyone that watched this podcast knows I'm to a fault, often optimistic and naive. I just prefer to see the, the good outcome, but I'm with you. I, I think, I think they did good, right? They got big tech all in it. They slapped you down. They put their little blue labels, COVID-19, this has been proved missing, but they didn't bank on, on memes. They didn't bank on, mm -hmm. you know, comedians making fun of Fauci. They didn't bank on leaks. They didn't they didn't bank on all of this. They didn't bank on Rogan who was supposed to get the vaccine and he didn't because just there's like a scheduling difficulty. And now that led to him taking on this whole ivermectin odyssey. There's not really a question. I don't really know where I'm going with this rant, but I agree with you entirely. It was a beautifully orchestrated plan. But was it John Lennon that John Lennon that said life is the thing that happens while you're making plans for something else? It's not, it never carries itself out as you think it should, or no, you know, no, no war plan survives uh, first contact with the enemy. And that's, that's kind of my mindset. And at this point, you're probably considering thinking, Tommy's insane. Why am I doing this podcast? But that's is no, I, no, I agree with you. And, um, 
And, and I think that, um, uh, you know, a, an operation of any size is only as good as its weakest link. And um, one of the one of the the crucial errors that got made was counting on Fauci so much because he's not he's actually not very smart. Um, I read Scott Atlas's book um, about uh, which is called A Plague on Our House. It's excellent. I, I enjoyed meeting him a lot. He was a speaker at our conference, and um, and he said this at our conference, and then he also writes it in his book that Fauci doesn't even know how to pronounce medical terms. Um, properly, and he said that uh, Deborah Burks has so she has no grasp of statistics. Like her idea of of developing a report about what's going on is she would take data from the states and then give it back to them as if she had done something magical by copying it over, and then it, say the same thing. We're going to do the same thing. So this has changed, but we're going to wear masks and we're going to wash our hands and. And it got to the place where the states were calling the White House and saying, don't send her. And so um, and, and so I look at my little company, which is so tiny compared to the federal government. But if, if I had a person of such low intellect working for me, it, it, you know, unless we had them just like cleaning and stocking our shelves and stuff, they, they could be pretty dangerous in terms of what they could screw up and the impression they could give other people and all that sort of thing. And so um, I, I think that that's that's another thing, too. They were and this what this is what happens when you're more interested in sycophants than smart people. This, and one of the reasons this may have happened is they wanted people to tell them it was a great idea instead of I'm always looking, I'm a real optimistic person. Like I think this is going to turn out okay. But the first thing that I start thinking about is what can go wrong with this. Because if you don't think about it, you get blindsided. And I think they looked for sycophants. They still surround themselves with sycophants. And they're terrible people. I mean, Gavin Newsom, you know, they all get caught out in public. They can't even keep their masks on for show and do it consistently. Now, you don't have to be very, very smart at all to, to pull that off, all right? So so the fact that they all keep getting caught without masks and that kind of stuff, I mean, they have, they have really kind of um, incompetent people on their side. And, they, and Dr. Atlas said, I thought this was a very interesting point, that this is going to go on for a while. All right. And I, I'll give you another World War II story that goes with this that I think people should know about. It's going to go on for a while, mainly because they don't have an exit plan mm. and they're not smart people. All they have is power. All right, so they're going to hang on to the power. This is not, they don't know how to outwit this, which is evidenced by the, you know, we're going to make you miserable and, you know, the, all the, I'm out of patience with you and my Christmas wish is death, the dark winter, and, and, and how inappropriate it. Yeah, not any anything like let's join together. I'm on your side. Not, I mean, there are a lot of things he could have said that would have been brighter. So, uh, so anyway, we, they've got a lot of stupid people involved. And and to that point, when I said uh, earlier that things are going to get worse before they get better, um, I read a book um, about Mengele uh, by David Marwell. If you're going to read a book about Mengele, I think it's the best one I've read. And I learned so much I didn't know, and I know a lot about all this. He was the doctor at um, yeah, yeah. Auschwitz who was experimenting on twins. Well, anyway, in this book, um, he was involved in this project. The, the Germans knew they were going to lose the war. Mm -hmm. And there are even some stories of uh, SS officers at the uh, camp 
who helped some people who they were close to because they were prisoners who had privileges, who helped because they spoke a lot of languages. And, and so they got to be a little friendly with these inmates and they were well fed and could carry on a conversation and all that. And they actually helped some escape by giving them uniforms and that kind of thing. That's the level of honesty, right? So they knew the war was going to end. And what they did it was decided that since the allies were really close, okay, they, they decided we got to kill as many people as possible before they get here. Mm-hmm. That was their decision, all right? So um, I knew the story. I just didn't know it was all tied into this. Uh, so uh, there were three, two or 300,000 Jewish people in Hungary. I don't remember the exact number, but they targeted that country, and they said we're going to eradicate the Jews in Hungary before they take us out, before the allies take us out. So they built extra crematorium very quickly at Auschwitz, and they brought, built extra railway lines so they could bring more people in. And in order to do this, they were bringing enough people that if they had revolted and figured out what was going on, that they could have um, uh, overcome the guards and everything. So they they made it like you're here to be assigned to work camp, and so here are some toys for your children, and we're going to have picnic lunch in the yard and all that. And then they had done idly 25,000 people in a day. And by the time they were finished and the Allies got to Auschwitz, there were fewer than 200 Jewish people in Hungary. So when when you know you're going to lose the war, and, and if I had been Hitler, I would have thought, where am I going to get out? I'm going to get out of here before they come because I'm definitely going to be wanted. Mengele understood enough about the consequences that he yeah, changed yeah, his yeah. identity and worked on a farm yeah, for four years, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then went to, but before that, wow. he worked on a farm as a farmhand and then went to Argentina. He had to move around South America to keep from getting caught too. So imagine instead of saving your own rear end and getting the heck out of the country, you decide, well, if they're going to come after us, we better kill as many people as we can because that's our goal. So when I say these crazy people who are becoming increasingly reckless, that that's that's where the and, and do I I mean do I think they're going to do something like Auschwitz? No, but we don't know what they're going to do. They're highly unpredictable. There's a there's a stratification of the high command that you can definitely draw parallels to with Nazi Germany. Two books, and I'll be sure to email them to you, is Blitzed by Norman Oler, which is all about drugs in the Third Reich, which no one book has changed my view on World War II more than that book. I've interviewed him. He's a Thank you. totally badass guy. It's it's one mm-hmm. of my – I've listened to it so many times. I've actually – I had to take it off my phone because I was like, I'm not learning anything new. This is this – is I started listening to it like you'd listen to a song. I was like, this isn't yeah. – this isn't – I'm not getting anywhere. Um, and then the other is um, Operation Paperclip by Annie Jacobson, which everyone knows that that topic's been beaten to death. But the two things in there that Blitz isn't necessarily about, it's about the drug use. And Operation Paperclip, which is obviously about us getting all the scientists, there are these two things in there that I don't, they weren't meant to be the main themes of the book, but they're the things that stuck out to me the most. And it's exactly that. It's the desperation towards the end, right? It's, um, we were so uh, baffled, our intelligence was, because we were like, Germany's losing on two fronts, but they're still <laughs> diverting resources to these death camps, right? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, that that's true. That's true hatred. I mean, that's true hatred. You're really just if I can't have it, no one can. But that that doesn't pervade all. Of, and this is not to make excuses for any of the Nazis. They should and most were hung, so they're dead. That's not all of them. A lot of them are with that because that's where the power is. And I'll try to I'll try to make this more clear. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying what I what I want to say. 
In Operation Paperclip, Annie Jacobson talks about the High Command, Werner von Braun, uh, Arthur Rudolph, uh, uh, Otto Ambrose, the chemist, um, um, uh, Dr. Bloma, Kurt Bloma. They all, they, they came to the power. They're all sycophants. They're all kissing the ass. They saw Hitler rising. They knew what they wanted. And for a while, I think they believed that they were going to have their global Teutonic Reich. But they started to see, they started to see years beforehand, Werner von Braun, Arthur Rudolph, they all started taking these top secret documents of V2 rockets, V3, the artillery, and they started putting them in crates out on their land because, you know, they all had the best land because it was all seized from Jews. They would put them into mines and they'd have, I mean, it's like a comic book villain. They'd use dynamite to blow the mine so no one knew where it was. They all kept their, they kept their blueprints that just they had. And they saw this, this wasn't, you know, March, 1945. This was 42, 43. Mm -hmm. They saw the writing on the wall. So they took their bargaining chip and they went, Mm -hmm. I know that the United States or worst case scenario, the Soviets will want my brain. But none of them said anything and none of them told each other that they were doing it. It's actually kind of, it almost seems like a, like a three stooges like bit or something towards the end. One of them would be like, I have these documents and it would be like, you know, like Hans, how dare you? But then like the other guy would plot his documents and it'd be like, yeah, I have them too. And it's like, yeah, I thought we said we were doing this Christmas sober, but you walk into the bathroom and you see your brother's taking shots and you have your flask too. And it's like, oh, so we're all just, we're all lying. Okay. But you could see that all. And although they were in lockstep with Hitler, and Hitler truly believed it, right? Hitler, I mean, that's, that's why he killed himself and didn't try to escape, is he truly believed it. The ones at the top went along with Hitler because they saw where the power was. But mm-hmm. even they started to see, hey, man, this isn't this isn't going to work out. And they knew that. Mm-hmm. And none of them ever said anything because they'd be killed. But they all knew. And so what gives me hope, and I, I don't think I've ever talked about Nazi high command and hope in the same sentence, but what gives me hope about this is they seemed unstoppable, right? As, as uh, Norm MacDonald once said, you know, Nazi Germany was weird because they were the size of Maine and they tried to take over the world and they almost did. It seemed unstoppable. They've got V2 rockets. Their tanks are incredible. They're incinerating. Man, they have all these drugs. What are the the Blitzkrieg? Oh, my God, what is this? But you're never going to broadcast your own weaknesses. Like you said, the end of the epidemic will not be televised. They never Mm -hmm. said, hey, man, things are looking bad. I mean, up until the day before Hitler committed suicide, they were bringing out eighth graders, giving them meth pills called Pervitin and giving them guns to fight the incoming Soviet tanks. They were trying up until the end, even though, as I just said, the guys at the very top, they knew it was over three years before, two years before. So Mm -hmm. although you do have the true believers, the true Aryan race, right, they did believe it and they will lash out and they will try to do something. But -hmm. what you also have is you have a bunch of guys who this is there's nothing good about them. There's nothing honorable, honorable about them, but they are beneficial to us, the other people. They're up there and they're going, uh, you know, maybe you have a Fauci, maybe you have a Klaus Schwab. You're going to have a lot of spineless bitches like a Trudeau or a Newsom who they're doing the thing right. But just like they're forgetting to wear the mask, they're not true believers. The true believers never once failed to do the Shekhaya. I would imagine that like Werner von Braun and Arthur Rudolph, the guys storing the blueprints, probably once or twice they were caught without their little Nazi lapel or something. They're like, oh, shit, I got to, you know. That's how I look at it, is Mm -hmm. something as formidable as the Third Reich 
fell this way. Why can't that happen now? I don't think right now mm -hmm. that they are as ruthless as the Third Reich. I don't think they're as intelligent or as organized. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine, and we don't know, right? This is still 43, 44. We're going, they seem impenetrable. I think decades down the road, we're going to learn about top scientists or maybe top Pfizer officials or top FDA officials. We're going to learn about, oh, yeah, no, in, in 2020 and in 2021, they started, you know, the equivalent. They started putting away documents, transcripts, mm -hmm. blackmail. That's how I view it. I know I'm rambling now, but that's no, how I I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right, and I don't think it's going to take us that long because no. here's what I think is going to happen, and we'll see. You know, we filed all these lawsuits um, uh, through our uh, with, with with attorneys in various states, and of course, our lawsuits were, they're not so different now. But at the time that we started filing, and we were the first people to actually challenge the emergency and said, "You're committing fraud. There is no emergency. You have to prove it to us. None of this is justified unless you can prove there's an emergency." And so um, what you really want is discovery, right? You get documents and depositions and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think when we get to that place, I think that, there are, that none of these people have any character. None. So what you're going to see is a, um, and, and I, I can just visualize this with the governor of Ohio, who I think is a little warm. He is actually a little, by the way, just saying he kind of peers up over the lectern when he talks. But but uh, yeah, that kind of has that look. And I think he's shrinking. That's what happens when the soul leaves the body is my theory. But um, but I, I think what we'll get from it, you know, if, if we ever sit down to pose DeWine or when we do, is he's going to say, I was doing what I was told. And then, because that's what the Nazis did too. There was a lot of that. I was following orders. And, and so, well, who told you that? Well, I got, I, you know, Deborah Burks told me that. Okay, well, Deborah, who told you? Well, Mr. Fauci told me. And who told you? Mr. Gates told me. And, and they will all start you know, squirming. Now, I'm going to, I've said this for a long time, that they're all going to turn on each other to try to save themselves. And let me tell you what's happened. And I look for little signs of this because I, I, I do. Not because I need hope, but because I like to see when things start to crack a little bit. Start to, right. It's like if you slow down a video of like uh, the World Trade Center, you can like a second before it collapses, you can kind of see it buckling. That's yeah. Right. Yeah, you, yeah, that you, kind of thing. You go, exactly. There, there it is. Yeah. So um, to that point, you know, you look at the media, which is a major player in this. Yeah. All right. So CNN, I've joked for a long time, CNN's audience is so low that I could afford to advertise on CNN at this point in time. I mean, it's just terrible. Some of those shows don't even have a million viewers at prime time. So what do they do? Well, first of all, they've been forced to clean house with some people, but they recruit three people from Fox News who I don't think are very good, but that's not the point. Chris Wallace, uh, Steve Hayes, and Jonah Goldberg, right? who ostensibly leave Fox because they're upset about the January 6th thing or whatever. But they, but anyway, they recruit them. Now, they are not going to um, talk about this in the way that you and I are talking about this. But they are not going to CNN to support the Biden regime. They are not going to say, there's nothing that would make those people say, Nancy Pelosi's a great girl and we should just all start listening to her, right? So CNN has figured out that to save themselves, they are going to have to offer something that appeals to people who aren't sycophants because there aren't enough sycophants tuning in anymore yeah. to keep the network alive. Even the drug companies who were one of their masters, they're paying their advertising rates based on the low audience, right? So think about this. Uh, we, we did this for you. 
and now you're paying 15% of what you used to pay, and we're in the tank now, right? So they're going to turn on each other. And I think we'll see more and more and more of this kind of thing happening. And I also think that from the media standpoint, one of the things that will be a game changer when it happens is that um, some of this would be such incredible news that you just couldn't help cover it. And what I mean by that is if, if something really broke wide open, I mean, right now, you know, leaked emails about Wuhan and all that kind of stuff, it's complicated, right? So, so, and people, I mean, we, I know how to make it not complicated. I did it in my book, but, but, but for the average person that, you know, there's a document dump of 335 pages. They're not going to sit down tonight by the fireplace and read that. So it's complicated. But if something really incredible came out, like we now have a wire transfer from, um, you know, that I, I, there isn't one, but I'm just making this up as an example. The National Institutes of uh, Institutes of Health wired 25 million to the bat lady's personal account with instructions to insert the spike protein. I mean, that kind of a thing. Um, they just won't be able to resist covering it. I mean, it just, you just can't resist. So, um, and I think we're close to something like that happening, actually. There will be some break in the story that's just irresistible. So between them turning on each other and um, and the story falling apart and everything else, now it's just a matter of time. But the question is how many humans, they're not after Jews, they're after humans. How many humans are they going to destroy or kill? before they exit. And then what will that look like? And I, and I have to tell you that some people really take this the wrong way and I don't want them to. But um, I, I think that this is the most interesting time to be alive, which does not mean I'm enjoying it at all. I just think it's fascinating. And I feel like every day I get up um, to tune into the show to a certain extent, what is gonna happen? And um, and it's kind of exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive. And I think that um, it's an exciting time to step up and say, um, I, get to, I get to be a part of history, not in a way where I'm looking for fame, not that, I don't care if they ever write a book about me, but in a way that if I really pitch in and do my part, that I could, when I'm sitting in my rocking chair at 105, because I'm planning to live a long time, you know, and, I, and I'm reflecting back on my life, I can say, you know what, maybe the whole reason I visited this planet for 100 and some years is because I was supposed to do that back then, right? So that was my purpose for being here. So anyway, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm just into, incredibly fascinated by all of this and anxious to see what happens next. And it's, the possibilities are unlimited. The people involved in this could get on a plane and disappear. That's sometimes what illegitimate regimes do. Oh, yeah. um, they, they could just say, um, it, it's too risky. We're not sticking around for the end. Um, we could have states secede from the union if the federal government got too heavy handed and, and that, and I don't know that we're going to have a civil war, like people are going to be in my backyard with guns. It's not going to be that kind of thing, but it's going to be messy if that happens, you know? So we'll see. It's, uh, it's not over. And, um, and it's probably, probably haven't seen the wildest part of it yet. Yeah. That sort of wild card ending. I mean, Mengele died of a heart attack in an ocean he was never arrested you know eichmann right. was was snatched by the Mossad. hitler put a bolt through his head i mean i mean think about think about those divergent possibilities mm-hmm. mengele died of a heart attack in an ocean off the coast of south america okay hitler committed suicide okay you can maybe see that sure you know the guy at the end uh Werner von braun uh came and became buddies with jfk and curtis lemay 
and sent men to the moon. All right. I didn't see that mm-hmm. coming. Uh, Adolf Eichmann was hiding out in South America and the Mossad arrested him and kept him captive and put him on a plane and brought him back to trial. I didn't see mm-hmm. that coming. There are a lot of things that you don't necessarily, but they happened. And mm-hmm. in terms of, in terms of, um, what you said about, you know, it's not that you enjoy it. I mean, I just said I had on Gordon Chang before this when we were talking about China. And I said, I love the Cold War. And I love it as a topic because it's fascinating. It was evil. It was horrible. I mean, we were sitting on the mm-hmm. brink of thermonuclear Armageddon. We had a bunch of pointless wars where tons of men died. I mean, Korea, Vietnam. I mean, what the hell are we doing? World War II, as we've both talked about, absolutely fascinating. And we're talking about the slaughter of millions of Jews. That's not good. It's fascinating what happened. I don't think there's anything, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about the World Trade Center collapsing as looking for markers. There's nothing good about that. We're watching 3,000 people die in the blink of an eye. It doesn't mean it's not fascinating. So I'm with Mm -hmm. you. We are at a very fascinating time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of like lastly to to touch on what what you were saying of we can actually impact this. To me, that's the that's the most um, inspiring thing. That's the most. Uh, it, it keeps. What, what am I looking for? What's what, not apathy? Um, there's a D word. I can't think of it. But it, it, it's it's despair. Keep despair mm-hmm. at bay. Is mm-hmm. that we're actually we're playing the game. You know, you watch a you watch a Super Bowl and it's like, okay, dude, I can't run a hundred yards and on like a good day. So like I'm watching Tom Brady. Like you can only get so involved. Versus. Two days ago, I had on Dr. Ma- uh, Matthias Desmet, the mass formation psychosis guy, and I mm-hmm. got him on. He's with, fascinating. I got him on with Malone and McCullough. Like that's a thing, and I took it and I and I put it out there in my apartment with a camera, and I shot it out there. There's an effect, and you're going, "Oh my mm-hmm. god! Wait, hold on, we can do something." And people listening, I mean, you can share something. Sure, you're going to get a- attacked by the sycophants and the mm-hmm. you know, the kind of the ones that fall in line, but you can actually start pushing things in a direction when you go to a youtube video and it has one and a half billion views and then you watch it and refresh it and it goes up one you go oh oh i did that you, mm-hmm. we are playing the game we're playing very tiny parts but we are playing the game and not to pat ourselves on the back because in no way are we this but to just draw an analogy and i really have to be sincere in saying we're not doing anything close to what they were able to do but it makes sense when you go oh the the women that, okay, all the men went and were drafted, all the women who went and worked in the factories, you know, putting together the B-29s and the artillery shells, you go, oh, that's how you keep that apathy at bay is you're mm-hmm. here and you're part of it. And mm-hmm. I was talking to my friend about this the other night. I don't think this is an accident. I don't think this is just a, you know, I look at losing my brother to suicide and for the longest time I just threw a pity party. I now look at it as, as like, no, I I think I was destined to, I think my family was, we were destined to survive that, to go through that hell and to come out stronger and then to help other people and talk about that and try to reduce the stigma of it. I don't think this is an accident. I don't think it was like, man, I was born in 1990, you know, I was born into a uh, you know, a family that loved me and, you know, parents stay together and, you know, put me through private school and I get to start a podcast and, but then this freaking pandemic happened and now it's messing mm-hmm. up everything. I don't think so. I don't, when you're mm-hmm. watching a movie, you don't go, oh, it was all good. And then the bad thing happened. No, that's why it's a movie. That's why you leave mm-hmm. the movie theater and you go, fuck, that was good. I don't mm-hmm. think this is an accident. And I think it is our purpose to be here and to play the game. And that doesn't make light of it. 
but I think we're here to play the game and to touch way back on what you said earlier, will I be assassinated? I mean, I've talked to Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough been like, you talk to them and they're like, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I definitely know my life is in danger and they Mm -hmm. go, but you know what, this is, this is a good hill to die on. And I look Mm -hmm. at that and I look at like, uh, he died eight, nine years ago. And I look like my uncle who was drafted in Vietnam, you know, long haired pot smoking hippie and he's over there, man, it's one thing to be terrified and to be storming the beaches of Normandy or Okinawa, but you know you're you're defeating the guys that either bomb Pearl Harbor or who are incinerating Jews by the millions. Man, we might die, but goddamn, we're dying for a reason. Mm-hmm. You look at maybe like a Korea or a Vietnam, you can't even really you can't even really get that. You're like, what are we doing? We're trying to stop this country in Southeast Asia from doing what? You can't really even get involved with it. You can't, at least in my mm-hmm. opinion, you can't get your heart in it. I look at it as what a blessing that we have mm-hmm. a genuine righteous fight, that there is a hill to die on that you'd be happy to die on. You go, yeah, this is so many people wish they had a fight that was worth dying for. And we have this and I know I'm rambling, but to really wrap it up is, and you know, will I be killed? You know, will we, they've done it for less, you know, they've, they've done it for Michael Hastings. I mean, they've done it for less, but and this is like the super meta find peace. Maybe that's religion. Maybe that's uh, meditation. Maybe it's, it's, it's a psychedelic enlightenment on, on psilocybin and you feel oneness with the universe. Find peace and know that this isn't, this doesn't go on forever. You either die doing something that you know is worth it or you, you die alone going, man, I wish I had done something. Once you come to peace with that, it's like when you play a video game, you're always aware that you're playing a video game. You're like, as, 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 as intense as it is, and we're screaming, and pass the ball, pass the... It's a game, and you know it's a game. And that level of detachment allows you to play with all of your heart, because ultimately it doesn't matter. And that's kind of how I view all of this, is like, hey man, once you come to peace with your creator, whatever it may be, it's a lot easier to stand up to a trillion-dollar pharma corporation and go, yeah, you know what? There might be a mercenary out there with my name on their gun. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I know is right. I'm rambling now, but that's, that's kind of how I look at this, is there is precedent for things have been so much worse. And we mm-hmm. got through those. We got through those. Why can't we? Look at Fauci. It, really? That's the guy that's going to win? You're looking at that guy. He, man, yeah, if, he's not. If it's Ivan, if it's Ivan Draco and it's, I will kill you. Yeah, that's kind of intimidating. Fauci, that's the evil guy that's going to win. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no, no. Well, I think that I think there's another aspect of this too, which is that um, and I wrote, we wrote about this in the book. You know, if you take a look at, I used to, I went through a phase where probably it lasted a week or two when when my 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 former life started to go away. All right, so this group of people are no longer my tribe. They are Kool-Aid drinkers and Kool-Aid makers, all right? And this organization doesn't exist anymore. And and just and th- these people are not going to be friends anymore and all that kind of stuff. And so there, you have this moment of looking back and saying, I think I'd like to go back to my February 2020 life. And the reason it was a fleeting thought is that when I really did think about it, 
the, in February 2020, we were in a situation where this could happen, so you don't want to go back there. And, and the other thing is that um, all of this, uh, there were some things wrong in our country and in the world, but let's just stick with our country right now, that had to sooner or later be addressed. Okay, so let's think about it. I'm 65 years old, and as long as I've been a thinking adult, which was not all of my adulthood, I'll qualify that. I was a nitwit in my 20s, all right? But when I actually started to be a grown-up and think about things, but my whole thinking adulthood, I've heard about we need government reform. I remember when I was in my early 30s, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, working on campaigns and stuff, and has there been any government reform? No. And I remember hearing about education reform. And um, and we were turning out idiots, you know, it was 35 years ago. And today we turn out worse idiots. There's been no education reform. It's gone downhill, not uphill. And I, and I want to say there are some notable exceptions. There are good politicians and good educators and all that, but the systems themselves. And then you hear about medical system reform. Well, I don't see that happening. It got worse every year. And then the media had been trending for a long time toward being more a group of commentators rather than reporters. And I've even noticed it in our in our newspaper, our local newspapers, the Columbus Dispatch. I call it the Columbus Disgrace because that's really more what, it's, what it is. But um, more and more I was watching, they're not reporting the news and it's not local anymore. It's coming from USA Today and it's coming from the New York Times and, and all that kind of stuff. And it just isn't good, okay? It's just not, not, um, not good reporting. All right, so how do you fix where we were in February of 2020? You can't. It's, it's so huge and it's so massive and it's so untouchable that you just have to blow it up, I think. And so look at the chaos that's ensued. I talked about what happened with CNN. We are going to end up with an honest media because nobody's going to watch the not honest media. We've had the largest number of kids outside of formal education that we've had since before John Dewey decided that public education was where we needed to go. That's a good step. And more are going to leave. I think that that's a trend that's not going to start turning around at all. Um, we have a medical system that's collapsing and the good people with conscience are leaving and we can make a system with those people. That's what I, that's one of the things I'm working on now. And, um, and the, and, and so, and the government is collapsing and, um, we're seeing, I mean, you know, all these people who are retiring in Congress who are such incumbents that nobody even wants to run against them. They're retiring because people are running against them and because they know they're not going to win. So I'd rather retire than lose, right? You know, so so we're going to get the reform for decades, decades of talking about it and strategizing about it. And I was on committees. I was appointed by one newly elected governor to be on a committee to review health care programs in Ohio. Then I invested. I was so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so honored to be appointed, right? So, you know, and it was a member of the opposite party and who was trying to start his administration saying, we're going to have members of both parties involved in all of this. And so I'm thinking, oh my God, they picked 11 people in the whole state of Ohio and I'm one of them, right? So I show up at the meeting. I worked my rear end off so much on this that I actually slept in my office on my yoga mat the night that I turned in my work and it was over, right? And uh, But it was so worth it. And then I watched what happened during the next four years of his administration. Nothing. <laughs> I thought, my gosh, I almost killed myself doing my part and nothing happened. So all this to say, I'm starting to ramble, but I think everybody gets the idea that, that we need reform. And sometimes things go so far 
that you can't fix it. You just have to blow it up and start again. And I think it's not going to be quite starting again, like the government goes away and we write a new constitution, not that kind of thing, but you're just going to see a lot of bad actors leave and you're going to see a lot of people saying, we demand to have control. And I think the election in Virginia was great. I mean, that was really all about education in, in that particular situation. And when, um, What's his name? Who was running for governor said parents shouldn't really be determining what kids learn in school. I thought, oh my God, that's like the deplorable yeah, line. Youngkin is going to win for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I look at <clears throat> that was a beautiful ramble, by the way. I look back at you know where I was in college, and I was so hell bent on going to medical school and dieting and working out, and I had this idea of who I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be Doctor Kerrigan and blah blah blah. And, you know, even before I lost, you know, I graduated December 2013, lost my brother in April 2014, got accepted to medical school a month after that. But a month before I lost my brother, I actually decided not to go. It's it's often a look back and go, oh, I lost your brother. That's why. No, no, no. I actually decided a month before that because I had known about the last year of college or so, every once in a while I'd be meditating or smoke a little bit too much weed and start thinking. And I knew I wasn't happy. And I was just kept mm-hmm. doing it because it's the thing I'm doing and I've already taken all these courses and I'm doing well at it and I want to go to blah, blah, blah. Like, why? Let's just keep doing the thing, right? And you know that there's some changes you need to make. And, you know, hey, it's, I'm kind of realizing I have crippling OCD, but, you know, well, the thing's working, so we'll just keep doing the thing. And, you know, well, I wonder what it would be like if I really followed my dream. Oh, shut up, hippie. Just keep working. And every once in a while, I kind of inch towards it and i'd be like maybe if i just change a little and then it's like you get burned by the fire you go nope 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 screw it i'll just do this thing and what it took and i this is why i say and both my brothers say the same thing although the worst thing ever losing my brother was also the single best thing that ever happened to me because it wasn't remodeling the top floor of a skyscraper it was a nuclear bomb in the basement and although Mm -hmm. it's horrible when the whole thing comes down well, shit, you can, you can rebuild. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I moved home to my parents' house in 2016 and I had gained a bunch of, a uh, bunch of weight, was on, was addicted to clonazepam, was just suicidal, just really had become a, 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 a shadow of my old self. And you know, I moved home and I moved, you know, from Georgia to Maryland and I was 600 miles away from all my friends. And, uh, you know, my relationship with my girlfriend of four years fell apart and, you know, my whole old self, like you said, about like February 2020, I was like, man, if I could just go back to college and just get back in shape and be a doctor. But eventually you start to realize that it's not, it's done. It's done. Mm-hmm. The 90s, they're done. The 2000s, they're done. We got to bring mm-hmm. back the 70s. No, the 70s happened and it's done. The, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots, fun. That era is over. The mm-hmm. things are over there's no more big band music there's no more frank sinatra enjoy it for what it was don't try to remake the movie you're just going to destroy it as these things started to fall apart and i slowly stopped trying to hold on to them and stopped trying to hold all the pieces together and just sort of let it all fall apart you have the realization of i have a blank canvas and i Mm -hmm. you know i started dieting and and losing weight and I, I started this podcast in December 2019 ironically right around the time you know Wuhan released the virus is when I started this but I've been able to rebuild myself and I get to work hard but instead of it being soul-sucking and it being biology 
I get to do podcasts and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm at peace with myself and I addressed the OCD. I went and did like uh, exposure behavior therapy and it was a shitty seven months, but I did it and I get to rebuild myself to who I want to be. And none of it would have ever been possible if I had tried to just pick a little part here, pick a li- you need mm-hmm. a fundamental nuke in the basement, mm-hmm. clean canvas. Mm-hmm. Don't try to white it out. Get rid of the painting, new canvas, and you can create and you can learn from all of your problems, right? It's like every couple, every year they, they change a couple of, I just know this because my, my dad's getting a new truck. Every like couple, every year they, they add a little new thing, you know, maybe some new computers or, but it's not like every five years they'll actually make like an entirely new frame for a truck mm-hmm. and, and they're learning from the old one and they're making a new one and it, takes a lot of R&D and the first model is never as profitable, but you make a genuine change. It's not, it's not a newer flip phone. You're going from flip phone to touchscreen. You're doing a new mm-hmm. thing. And I think that I had never thought about that until you were saying that. Yeah. When, everyone knows we need political reform. You know, it's the oldest trope. It's a million years old. Eh, politicians are evil. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, the media is corrupt. Yeah, I get it. Uh, we need healthcare reform. Yeah, huh? And the early bird gets the worm, and the sun rises, and the, all the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What 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 else is new? What goes up must come down. These are all things we know. Not to make light of all of the deaths and the, the civil strife and the riots and the division, and, but man, what other way was it ever going to be rebuilt? Mm-hmm. And granted, it's not there yet. Today's January sixth, Thursday, twenty twenty two, for all future listeners. But you kind of do have to go through that. You have to, right? You move into a new apartment. There's a couple weeks where there's boxes and trash everywhere. But you clean it up and you rearrange. And that's the only way you can get the new layout. You can't do it bit by bit. You got you to gotta do it all at once. And to do that, you first have to have demolition. And that's not, as you said, that's not, we need a revolution. And no, 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 not that, no, 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 calm down now. We don't need any of that Che Guevara shit. But we do, you kind of have to have something like this. You have to have people go, mm-hmm. it's not just that it's BuzzFeed articles. You go, oh, wow, they lied and they perpetuated a pandemic and violated the Nuremberg Code and we went along with it. This can't happen again. And to mm-hmm. me, that is the, the silver lining to all of this. Is It's been wrecked and destroyed and demolished, but now we are free to construct something so much better. And hey, in 100 years... It'll probably happen again, but that's how we move forward. And mm-hmm. now I'm rambling, but Dr. Popper, let's wrap this one up. I would love to have you on again. Your closing thoughts, I don't mean to go on a ramble and then shut you off. Your closing thoughts? Your no, closing I'll make my closing thoughts brief. I mean, I'm, I'm in this to win it. And, um, and we, we did a lot of soul searching and, and planning before we started it. And, um, and I think we are gaining on them. And I think we will look back on this episode in history and say it was a necessary thing, not again, not to take anything away from what's happened to people, but um, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a much brighter future. Mm-hmm. And I don't any longer think about my pre-pandemic life. I like my life right now. I like the new tribe that I've become a part of. I like the... I like the um, I like the way things turned out. I don't miss that life anymore at all. 
And uh, and the last thing I'll say is, sure. you know, being 65, you know, there's, I love being my age, by the way, because I, I don't ever want to go back to being stupid at 20. So I like the age that I am. And, I, and as I reflect back on my life, the pressure, the pressure that I experienced when things went wrong in my life was what made me get things right in my life. And even my, my healthcare career was the result, the decision to do it was the result of a major disappointment in my life where I said, well, that's not going to work out. I'm going to do this. And it's the best thing that ever happened. So um, I think there's a tendency to just focus on the negative and the here and the now, but the now is transient. Tomorrow is going to be a different now and a different now, you know, so you have to, you have to just say, look, I don't, I don't have to know the end of the story. I just have to know that based on the track record of my existence on this planet, I'm always glad five years later, no matter how bad it was, right? Oh, yeah. And so that's hopefully an optimistic message to leave our listeners or viewers with. Again, yeah. I mean, I thought I had I thought I had it made in the shade. Gotten a medical school, super hot girlfriend. I was in great shape. Yeah, yeah, this looks great. And then for several years, it was unimaginable horror and self-doubt and self-hatred and drug abuse. But now I look at it, dude, my job, my my actual job, is talking to people like you on a computer. Sure, I'll, I'll put on a nice shirt. I have pajama pants on and loafers or slippers. That's how I do the podcast. Like, this is what I do. And then I listen to audiobooks of guests. I get, I get to listen to these World War II books that I was going to listen to anyway, but now it's now it's my homework. Like, oh, geez, you know, I kind of got to keep a straight face. I'm like, this is all I have to do. Unimaginably better. Mm-hmm. Un- beyond my wildest dreams, I mean, truly, and I don't even mean that hyperbolically, truly, I, I am happier and more fulfilled and at peace with my life than I ever thought would have been possible, even if everything had gone right. And because of that, I can only imagine from my own experiences, why why can't that be extrapolated to all of society? Mm-hmm. Why can't we look at it and go, that was a really bad time, but the equivalent of, but now we do a job listening to audiobooks we like wearing slippers we can have that world. And mm-hmm. again, not to make light of it, but you have to go through that destruction. Right. I mean, right. I mean, I know, I know I keep saying we're going to, but I mean, think about the birth of the nation. Sure. We love America. We went to the moon. We're the best. I mean, it started with a bunch of guys in like wooden shoes coming over on boats, fighting mm-hmm. Indians and then fighting the British. And now we're here. Like <laughs> you had to have that first and now we're here. So it's do your part play your position, be act in a way that if you die today, you can go, hell yeah, I did my part. And just, I don't think it's an accident. I don't think the pandemic was a a splinter in the side. I think it was part of the story all along. I I really do. And yeah, I don't know. I got, I got nothing else now. I'm I'm rambling again, but (laughs) well, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for your patience with my rescheduling and because I clearly am now going to disregard all of my past reschedulings. I am going to have you on again sometime and I would love to I'll email you. I'll email you those two books right now, Blitzed and uh, Operation Paperclip. I will put your book in the description. And if you have any email me, if you have any of the social media or the website you want to plug, send them to me in the email. I'll copy and paste and put it in the description. And uh, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Recording stopped. Stay safe.